Welcome to the B'nai International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for tuning in. In just a moment, we'll be speaking with our Director of European Union Affairs. Now, while you're settling in, be sure to visit our website, B'nai Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. The easiest way to get the latest episode is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play on your smartphone. Joining me today from Brussels, Belgium, is my colleague Benjamin Negula, Director of EU Affairs. Ben was named Director of EU Affairs for B'nai B'rith in 2015. He previously worked as an EU Affairs Officer for B'nai B'rith and as a Policy Advisor at the European Parliament. He's joining us for the first time on the podcast to discuss his work promoting EU-Israel relations and advocating for Jewish causes at European institutions in Brussels. Ben, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Hi. Uh, let's start first with the European Union. For uh, many listeners, uh, they know they've heard of it. They know the uh, two letters EU, um, but are probably not too familiar uh, with uh, the the institutions. And rather than get too deep into the weeds on it, uh, it's uh, a, an umbrella organization that has a kind of a, a web of organizations underneath. But for purposes of our interest, uh, tell us a little about um, what the European Commission is, um, what the European Parliament is, and how those two institutions affect our agenda. Absolutely. So the EU has been, up until now, uh, depicted of 28 member states. Soon it's going to be only 27 with uh, the UK leaving. But we have the European Parliament, which is uh, elected uh, by, uh, by the EU member states and has 750 members of the European Parliament. And on the other hand, you have the European Commission, which is the executive body that works together with uh, the European Parliament in drafting agendas, drafting legislations within the areas that are competent on. And then on top of that, you have uh, additional institutions like the Council, the, the Justice Department and also the European banks, but that's not so much within the competence that I'm working on. So basically what Nebris is focusing on is on the one side European Commission and on the other side the European Parliament. Well, let's talk about the Parliament uh, for a minute. There's been kind of a change in the political landscape. There's a new uh, president uh, of, the, of the Parliament, new foreign affairs chairs and vice chairs, new coalitions. Tell us a bit about that. Exactly. So the parliament is being voted and uh, elected for every five years, which has been in 2014. But uh, with the, during the halftime of this legislative cycle, you have uh, re-elections uh, inside the parliament for the president, the vice presidents, and also the chairs of the different committees are rotated on. So up until now, we had a social democratic president, Martin Schulz, from Germany. And he's been brought back to Germany in the meantime. And now we have a new president from the Conservative Party, uh, an Italian from, uh, yeah, that's called Tajani. Now, he has been before the vice president already of the European Parliament. He has been a European commissioner before. He's been serving in Brussels since 1994 already. So he's uh, quite a veteran. Now, he has been before the vice president and he's been in charge of um, Interreligious dialogue. So we actually have been in contact and working with him before already. There was a conference in September of last year of the future of Jewish communities, which he has been hosting. And I think it has been a great change in terms of uh, Jewish advocacy and Jewish organizations, all the Jewish communities in Europe, because we have a great connection to him and he's very supportive of our causes. Then on top of that, of course, uh, the Foreign Affairs Council and the chairs within the Foreign Affairs Committee have been changing. 
It's a new, it's a new guy called uh, McAllister. He's German. I would also consider him as a conservative, rather pro-Israel and very supportive of our causes. We have been in contact with him many times before. And yeah, but overall, what has been happening during those elections, and has been a lot of uh, fighting behind closed doors within political groups, especially within the social democrats that had their own political uh, candidate, that uh, since then there's been a lot of fighting going on, and now they officially the social democrats have been uh, refusing to continue the coalition, the grand coalition between the conservatives and the social democrats, which has created a lot of tension behind closed doors and also when it comes to different issues also regarding to foreign policy in Israel. So let's let's now uh, talk about the European Parliament and Israel, because that is where um, so much of our interest lies at, at present. Um, in June this year, we have the 50th anniversary of the Six-Day War, um, and um, I, there has been some action uh, by some members of the Parliament uh, to use that as, uh, as an opportunity uh, to um, express their bias against Israel. Maybe you can comment on that. Absolutely. Which, what I'm really aware of is that on June, this anniversary of the Six-Day War is not going to be used as an anniversary of a Six-Day War, but instead it's going to be turned into an anniversary of the occupation. And the uh, Social Democrats have already announced that they're going to do uh, several days of conferences focusing on this issue. And that's one of the biggest challenges that we are facing at the European Parliament that there is being a singling out within the context of the Middle East peace process and, and uh, Israel-Palestinian conflict has been a singling out and a double standard when it comes to this issue, which is constantly focusing on constantly having resolutions and events on the specific issue of West Bank and settlements instead of focusing on, on the broader issue and, and the other issues that are affecting the conflict in itself. You know, in many ways, uh, what's happening in the European Parliament, and actually put more broadly, in the European Union is a reflection of um, what we see at the United Nations uh, with its uh, bias in its uh, various uh, agencies. Um, the, the EU is a member of the quartet, along with uh, the United States, uh, the United Nations, and, and Russia, uh, presumably there to um, promote a negotiation between Israel and the Palestinians. But the, as in the UN, uh, the institution here, it seems, is also being used uh, to advance um, its own uh, uh, bias uh, and its um, promotion, uh, many times, of the, the Palestinian narrative. Now, uh, not long ago, the EU um, adopted uh, a, um, a measure relating to a boycott of Israeli products coming from the territories. Um, that attitude seems to be quite prevalent and, and seems to be shadowing a lot of other things that happen in Brussels. Uh, maybe you can uh, tell us uh, more about that as well. Yeah, I completely agree with you that the issue and the challenges we're facing are the same in other institutions, international organizations like the UN, and unfortunately also the EU and the Parliament and Commission are referencing constantly issues like that are happening on the, at the other international organizations. For example, the uh, security resolution 2334, for, for example, is being constantly referenced to. And also what is happening every time Mogherini is speaking, she's referencing also quartet decisions. And she has been saying that there has been three challenges when it comes to the conflict. One would be the continued settlement expansion, while the other two are the violence and incitement to violence 
that uh, inflicts terrible suffering and deepen the mistrust between the communities. And the third would be the dire situation in Gaza and the continued military activity and the lack of Palestinian unity. Now, although she's mentioning those three challenges, the only thing that we are seeing resolutions on in European Parliament, the only thing that we're seeing uh, press releases on from the Commission is, again, the West Bank and the settlements, which is basically something that the EU itself doesn't live to, up to its own standards of being uh, an honest broker. Sorry, you made uh, references to UN Security Council Resolution 2334 that was adopted yeah. last December, relates to, to settlement activity. Um, and uh, you also mentioned uh, Federica Mogherini, who is the top uh, foreign uh, affairs official um, of, the, of the EU. Um, we'll get to what we're doing to counter this, but I want to talk about a couple of other issues if we can, uh, Ben. Yeah. Uh, the issue of anti-Semitism rising now uh, throughout Europe, um, everywhere you look, it seems, incidents of, of anti-Semitism, a number of them violent. Um, what is the European Parliament doing to, to counter that? Within the Parliament, you have an official working group on combating anti-Semitism, which is chaired by three cross-party MEPs, one from the Conservative group, one Social Democrat, and one from the Liberals. This working group has an advisory board where Bnebrith is sitting on. We're doing regular events together with the members of the European parliaments, normally every three months, where we're raising awareness and focusing on different issues related to anti-Semitism. This is one aspect of it. Then on the other hand, when it comes to the European Commission, there has been a new coordinator on combating anti-Semitism that has been nominated in the end of 2015 called Katharina von Schnurbein. And she's working within the framework of the Fundamental Rights Agency and, oh, sorry, the Fundamental Rights Unit within the European Commission and is working closely with Jewish organizations like us. We have uh, roundtable discussions with her every three months as well, and we're working on different projects together with her. And she's basically the link between the Jewish organizations, the, the different lodges that we have as well on the ground, and also the, the high-level staff within the Commission. Do you find that, um, that members of the European Parliament um, – um, share in the the deep concern that we have? I mean, I'm sure that there are friends, but there are, what, over 600 members of the European Parliament? 700. 700. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, how how widespread, how broad is the the sense of concern, do you think? It's, it's a big issue, and most of the people that I'm talking to obviously acknowledge that it is important to tackle the issue, but I don't think that most members of the European Parliament are actually aware of the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe or understanding the impact that it has, not only in the Jewish communities, but on the society as a whole. And I think only within the last one or two years since the terror attacks that have been happening in Brussels, uh, that people are trying to understand or starting to understand and are changing their opinion about the connection between anti-Semitism and the overall impact it has on society and also on other forms of discrimination. And I think that's something that I'm trying to raise in every meeting that I have with uh, parliament members, but also uh, commission staff, that there is a connection between anti-Semitism and other forms of our, their, uh, discrimination and uh, that we have to tackle it together and make coalition building work. Uh, ben, there's uh, one other issue I'd like to talk about. I want to talk about the things that you're doing we, um, in, the, in the time that we have left, uh, and that is Holocaust restitution, the, the um, restitution of properties uh, compensation for properties uh, lost uh, during the Holocaust. The number of survivors, of course, just keeps dropping and dropping uh, seemingly uh, every day. 
Uh, and uh, we really need to do something about it by bringing Europe into the picture. Now, B'nai B'rith is a founding member organization of the World uh, Jewish Restitution Organization, and we are very active in this field. Um, what can you tell me that's happening in Brussels on an issue that the European Union really for a long time didn't seem to really want to get involved in? I agree, and exactly that has been a challenge in the past within Brussels, is that every time you address it on a European level, people or officials are referring to the fact that it's not a competence of the European Union, it's a competence of the member states. But nevertheless, there, has, we, there should be much more awareness within the institutions, and the institution actually can do something in promoting it within their member states. So what happens practically is going to be a huge conference on the April 26th, uh, which is going to be organized together with the WJRO and the European Shoah Legacy Institute, as well as uh, several uh, foreign ministries of the Czech Republic, of the UK, and uh, within the cooperation within the Israeli embassy and the mission and the foreign ministry in Israel as well. Nebuth is going to be on board and an official organizer of the conference. And we're also going to have, as one of the key speakers, Eric Fassfield, our colleague from Nebuth, talking as well. So we very much hope that in this conference next week, which is opened by uh, President of the European Parliament, Tajani, and we're also going to have a declaration being signed by hopefully as many members of the European Parliament as possible, that it's going to be having a big impact on member states and also going to bring forward the issue of restitution. Because as you said, we're running out of time and uh, the last survivors are unfortunately dying. Absolutely. The clock is ticking, and, and we really need to do something about it. It's very important. Uh, it's late, but uh, it's still important uh, for those countries that have not yet adopted legislation or have not yet uh, become engaged in the issue of Holocaust restitution uh, to, um, uh, to pay attention to what happens at this conference uh, and uh, to be as involved and as helpful as, uh, as possible. So we've talked about um, the, the Israel part of this, uh, bias in, in a number of places. Uh, we've talked about anti-Semitism and now Holocaust-era uh, uh, assets restitution. Um, as B'nai B'rith, um, how do you see your role in, in Brussels? And tell us about some of the things that, that you do uh, to counter uh, these issues. Well, I see myself basically raising awareness and building coalitions both within institutions and Jewish organizations, but also with other Jewish organizations that we work together with because we have to coordinate our efforts because we're speaking at the end of the day, we're being perceived as with one voice, although we have many voices, but we have to be very careful in how we address issues. So one of the uh, things that we have been doing with Esbenebrithi in Brussels were several trips to Israel from members of the European Parliament last year because what I've perceived that many times, especially when it comes to Israel and the Middle East, a lot of the politicians, but also official staff, are having an, a narrative and having a discussion that is completely disconnected from any kind of facts on the ground. And as soon as you bring those people actually to the country and make them aware of the actual issues that are happening, you can change their mind much easier rather than trying to convince them in a personal talk that you have with them in Brussels, which I perceive as a bubble. And the other thing is basically having a lot of conferences organized together with the commission staff, but also with the members of the European Parliament and raising awareness that might be funding of the EU to the uh, Palestinian territories that's often being misused and uh, in, at least indirectly supporting terrorism or the or support of uh, hatred. On, and on the other would be as well, again, focusing on anti-Semitic issues and highlighting different areas that we work on. For example, we had a big conferences with, uh, also with a documentary screening 
uh, on the work that Maccabi is doing and also having the connection between sports and anti-Semitism, which is also, I think, something that should be emphasized much more, that there is a connecting topics that are much more attractive and people can relate to, to the complicated issues like anti-Semitism, but also Israel relations. Well, you know, when you look at it, uh, of course, Europe uh, was uh, the home of, of millions and millions of Jews uh, before the Holocaust, uh, going back uh, really uh, um, you know, more than a thousand years, uh, great Jewish culture, centers of learning, centers of religious activity, uh, cultural activity, you know, all of those things brought to a, a screeching halt uh, between 1933 and 1945, and then the rebuilding process. And then, um, with, a, with the creation of the State of Israel in 1948, the establishment of the State of Israel, um, for a number of years, a number of, of European countries uh, really lined up uh, very, uh, very strongly behind uh, the new state. And uh, we have seen, unfortunately, as you've said, we've seen this, um, this unwinding, this unraveling uh, of support um, and um, I suppose, Ben, would you say that really this is our biggest challenge uh, right now? It's trying to um, uh, set the record straight and, and in effect, uh, keep um, these members of parliament uh, and others honest on this issue rather than falling into uh, this uh, web of, of a, a narrative which uh, results in bias against Israel. I completely agree. Unfortunately, what, what I observe a lot within the political institutions and events that we're doing, but also other organizations are doing, that pro-Palestinian organizations and far-left groups within the European Parliament are using a narrative that's based on intimidation, that's based on false facts, and that uses vocabulary that has absolutely nothing to do with the reality on the ground, be it apartheid state, be it a genocide against uh, Palestinians. But those are labelings and issues that are being raised and called out like this within the institutions, which is really terrifying, but it's, it's a fact that we have to address. But unfortunately, it gets more and more polarizing. And what I'm observing as well, then especially if you go within the political spectrum to center-left even now, mainstream parties within the social democratic spectrum are already starting to adopt those narratives, already starting to use those terms without actually checking the facts. Well, but it's very terrifying because I have the real, I have the feeling that the longer this goes on and the more people are repeating it at some point, it's going to uh, become believable for some people that just don't know it any better. Well, it shows only how much uh, work we uh, we have yet to do, and we appreciate all that you do and all that uh, uh, our uh, leaders uh, in uh, Benebrith Europe uh, do as well. Ben, thank you very much. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us for the Benebrith International Podcast. Please visit our website, benebrith.org, like our Facebook page, and follow us on Twitter. Subscribe on your smartphone through the podcast app for iPhone or through Google Play for Android. And lastly, tell a friend about us. For my colleague, Benjamin Negula, I'm Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time on the Benebrith International Podcast. <laughs>